Hi, welcome to the Cornell Tech at Bloomberg podcast, in which we bring you conversations we've had during our monthly speaker series held at Bloomberg's global headquarters in New York City. Cornell Tech at Bloomberg brings together students from Cornell Tech, Bloomberg employees, and members of New York's technology community to hear from entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders, luminaries from the global technology sector. I'm Scarlett Fu of Bloomberg Television. This episode recaps our discussion with Foursquare CEO Jeff Gluick and Executive Chairman Dennis Crowley. Now, even if you're not one of the 50 million Foursquare users who check into places, you may still be using the technology behind their tool. My Bloomberg Television colleague, Vani Quinn, interviewed the two about Foursquare's pivot from a consumer-oriented app to a location intelligence company that sells data to businesses. Let's jump right in. First of all, congratulations, a new technology basically announced today. Do you want to explain a little bit about what it is and this new direction that Foursquare is taking? Maybe I'll hand that one to Jeff. All right, (laughs) I'll I'll go first. Uh, So today we got to announce attribution by Foursquare. If you think about uh, 93% of the economy, it's still bricks and mortar. So it still takes place in physical places and about 7% is e-commerce. And the e-commerce companies have cookies. uh, So they know whether a click to an ad works. But if you run, uh, you know, a car dealership, or you run a fast food chain, or you run a movie theater chain, or you run any kind of business that has thousands of physical locations, you don't have any way to know whether your ads work. And so the holy grail is knowing which ads work uh, to drive people into physical stores. And so today we announced a way to do that, to actually measure which ads provide incremental lift. And we use um, about 10 million of our 50 million monthly users around the world have opted in to a kind of always-on location awareness that's fully anonymous and aggregate, but it allows us to snap people as they spend five minutes in any one of 65 million businesses we've mapped around the world, and that lets us understand maybe you saw an ad for a Ford Motor, and then you walked into a Ford Motor dealership. So that lets us measure that. So this attribution by Foursquare is new, and it makes Foursquare not the company of 2009, where it was a check-in game, basically. Dennis, at what point did you realize that you needed to change your identity? Uh, It wasn't so much about like realizing we needed to change the identity. It was more we had built a whole bunch of tools and technologies that were designed for consumer use cases. And as we continued to hire really smart people at Foursquare that had backgrounds outside of just building consumer apps, we realized, why don't we put these things to use for different purposes? Why don't we try to sell some of the data to enterprises? Why don't we partner with companies like Twitter and Pinterest and others, and Apple, for example, uh, and let them make use of the data? Why don't we start building advertising technology tools that allow advertisers and brands and marketers to figure out um, you know, the effectiveness of some of the ads. So a lot of this stuff is things that we're developing along the way. Um, I think what we were, I mean, we were talking earlier in the, in the green room about you know, all the things that we've built at Foursquare have been towards like, how do we build these, how do we create these magical moments for consumers where you walk into a store and Foursquare pings you and says, hey, there's something really interesting you should check out here. You walk into a restaurant for the first time, hey, a buddy of yours recommends that you should get this dessert. You walk into a, you know, a new neighborhood in a new city and it lights up and says, these are the four or five places that you need to check out based upon everything we know about what you like to do in New York. 
And it turns out that, that technology to power those consumer experiences has been fantastically powerful at building all of these services for businesses and enterprises. And we're going to address privacy issues in a little bit, uh, particularly in light of everything that's happening with Apple, but we'll just dig into the technology a little bit more. You're in competition. This is a measurement tool, basically, and something that you can monetize. But you're in competition with not just other companies that do something similar, but also beacon technology. Address how you will, you know, overcome this competition from beacon technology. So uh, we're, we're lucky in that we take all the sensor ratings when we build our digital signature of a business, so we can leverage beacons that we see. There, there may be uh, a million or two beacons, but we've mapped over 100 million Wi-Fi spots, for instance, and we have GPS shapes for over 65 million businesses in 120 countries. So we can leverage Bluetooth, but it turns out Bluetooth beacons aren't in many places, and so we, we can understand that by time of day and by signature that you're in the bakery on the first floor or maybe you're in the nightclub in the basement through a whole set of sensor readings that are very sophisticated, which is why companies like Twitter and Pinterest and Apple and Yahoo and others use our location technology to power their services to understand where phones are. So what Jeff just said to me, Dennis, was that this is an infrastructure that has been built over the years that you've been Foursquare by consumers like me and you know many of my friends who might have checked into places at you know a certain time. That slowed though. Now you have 50, 50, 55 million monthly users, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a lot fewer than the likes of Twitter, a lot fewer than Facebook by sure. a mile. Does it make a difference that monthly usership of Foursquare itself, the core original product, has stopped? Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm very proud of the usage number to say like, hey, we have 50 million people that use the stuff that we built every month. Like, that's a huge number. It's way bigger than we ever thought it would be back in 2009 when we were building this stuff at my kitchen table. Um, you know, but in the same sense, you know, like I think when people were talking about what we were doing with Foursquare and with New York Tech in 2009, 2010, everyone expected us to become, you, you guys are the next Facebook, you are the next Twitter, you're going to be like, this is New York's moment. And like we've done a lot of amazing things, but like those are also amazing companies and like we haven't grown into uh, the same size that they are. But I think you know, one of the things that's been great about, uh, about you know, the company that we've built is that we've figured out a way that we can have a really viable business model even if we don't have 300 million people using it every day. We can have 50 million people using the products every month and that's enough for us to go out and map the entire world so that if anyone takes a, a phone that's running a piece of Foursquare software on it and just walks around you know, any city, any town, anywhere in the world, we can start to figure out, okay, where are they and what do they like to do and what can we tell them about what is awesome in this neighborhood. And that's well, a really It's funny because stuff. that particular number was around about the same number that Yelp had when Yelp got its Series E funding or uh, I believe it was the Series E. And they only raised 25 million in their Series E and then now they're, they're a public company and yeah. so forth. So talk to us about that, about you know, the, the relative metrics and, and whether you might be sorry you didn't go public back when. Um, well, it's, it's tough. It's a little apples to oranges, right? It's really tough to compare, I think, user metrics across, um, across different companies because you don't know what the companies do with the, with the users, right? Is it just eyeballs in the sense of like a Tumblr or a Facebook or a Twitter? Or like in Foursquare's case, what we're doing is like harnessing all of the power from the people using the products every day to sell it to a completely different audience, which is the marketers and the brands. So, you know, the Yelp comparison is interesting. Like every, I think everyone in this room would say, oh yeah, of course, Foursquare competes with Yelp. And I would say, well, I mean, we have an app, whoops, we have an app called Foursquare, and it's one of like the 
six products that we have, and that one product competes with, competes with Yelp. But on a company-wide basis, like, we are this crazy killer technology company that's building all these location intelligence services. And Yelp isn't doing anything like that. Like, they're still in the, like, we're going to try to reinvent the Yellow Pages mode. Like, that, that's a, an older business. So we look at, like, okay, there's, there's you know, some players that we compete with. Like, I guess Yelp, we compete with their app. On the check-in side, there's things that, you know, people do every day. Do we compete with Instagram or Snapchat? Probably a little bit, you know? Um, on the B2B and the advertising side, oh, there's all sorts of other products that we compete with. Yeah, exactly. So that's almost part of the problem, right, Jeff? You're a little bit Yelp, a little bit Groupon, a little bit some of these other products too. Is that why you were brought in and, and how are you going to strategize the identity of this company going forward? Well, what Dennis just said is right on. Over the last 18 months, we've been building this location intelligence company. And so I, we don't really see Yelp as a significant competitor at all. We're really a technology company. Think about it, on the consumer side, we actually have more check-ins each day globally than in the history of the company. So I take a little issue with the growth selling. It, we had a well, slowdown no, and then it revived. I, I think people don't fully realize that, right? I think they don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. And, uh, and so you know, the engagement is an all-time high. We, we split the apps into Swarm, which has the check-in game where you compete to be a mayor and, and you know, win different sort of stickers and badges and the like, and then, and then Foursquare, the city guide. Um, and uh, they both had a period where they had to re-sort of engage with their audience, and now both are growing continually globally. So the consumer side is solid, but the reason that we don't think of you know, Facebook as a metric is we never really set out to, to beat that kind of global social network. We wanted to map all the cool places in the world. We wanted to have this community of explorers that were finding places. And in the process, we built the technology that recognizes where you are so you can check in better. But it turns out that that's really valuable to things like hedge funds that want to understand how McDonald's all day breakfast is doing, or lenders that want to understand trends in a neighborhood, or real estate companies, or you know, advertisers who want to understand how to find, say, 20 million people who frequent gyms a lot, if you're Nike and others who want to measure it. So all these, we have 100,000 developers using the technology developer tools. We have a third of the Fortune 500 using our advertising products to better connect with the right users. And all of that is a story that people don't know about, um, and they just think about the, two, the South by Southwest uh, craze around the original check-in. So we really, uh, we're solid around this location intelligence plan. It's what's going to carry us to our, you know, be a profitable company over the next couple of years. So that's great, and maybe people never need to know, right? If this is an enterprise solutions company now, maybe it's not so important unless you do want to go public or have an exit at some point. Maybe then it would Well, I think the, crowd, the, the consumer uh, community really does an amazing thing, which it's like Google searches the world's web pages with bots. And we, like a Wikipedia or a Waze, we crowdsource everything. Every one of these 65 million public businesses and almost 100 million private business, businesses or residences has been mapped by a real user. And other users verify the identity. And we have 40,000 super users who police uh, the communities as volunteers. And so this kind of Wikipedia-style crowdsource community is the reason that we know when a new coffee shop opens within 24 hours, and it may take Google or Facebook months to realize that because they're just crawling the web. And so, um, you know, it's this living, breathing community. So, so keeping that audience and that community alive is critical to all of the solutions we build on top of it. But we don't need 300 million people to map the world. We've already done it with the size audience we have. Yeah. So this is a very uh, sort of on-the-spot experiment, but raise your hand if you have Foursquare downloaded on your iPhone or Samsung. All right. So I would say more than half. Have you opted in for this location 
being on, what's, how would you describe it, location services on? Yeah. Has anybody in the room opted into this? Okay, great. So that's a good showing. What are you doing to keep these people satisfied so they won't opt out? Are they getting discounts on things? Does anyone else get the pings occasionally when you walk around to You're places? not allowed to put up your hand. You're I can biased. ask questions too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, I was showing, this is how you raise your hand. Um, do, do you like the pings? Do you like it? Yeah, I like it in those. I mean, like, part of the reason we started the company to begin with is like, you, you should not have to always go into your phone and tease out the best stuff in the world. Like, it should come and find you. And that's why we built all of this stuff. And you know, that's why we have to ask for location permissions and run this stuff in the background so that we can understand the way the phones are moving and when they go to a new place, oh, I've never been here before, I'm in a new city or not. Um, it's really hard to build that stuff. It took us a long time to do it. Um, but now that we have it, in order to keep offering those services that it seems like a lot of people like, like we've got to keep the company going. We've got to generate revenue. And so how do we do that? Well, let's think of all the things that we have and let's find uh, other B2B and enterprise and advertising technologies that can enable us to continue to fund you know, growing the company so that we continue to fund making these great consumer products. So now you've become a company that needs to sell its products. Do you have a huge sales force or how do you get to the, 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 the small Toyota dealership on, you know, on the west side of Manhattan? Well, that's a great distinction from, from Yelp. We're, we're really a technology company and so we're only 200 people in the entire company, which people may not, not know. Um, and so we are building up a Salesforce, but really aimed at the Fortune 500 companies. So we, we did small experiments, Yelp style, of calling mom and pop pizza parlors or you know the like. And it turns out that if you can sell a multi-million dollar ad campaign with one salesperson, or you could sell a $300 um, ad product a month, it turns out to be a little bit better to sell the million dollar product. Um, <laughs> anyone in an MBA program? Uh, so, so, uh, you know, uh, so that, that was a learning for us. And so Yelp has a lot of people who dial all the time. We don't have that. We have a very sort of elite sales force, which we're, we're growing, that works with the big agencies and the big advertisers, as well as major tech companies to use the developer tools. Mm, okay, that's fascinating. So you will never have a sales force, right? It'll, it'll always be? Well, we have our own sales force, but again, they're sort of at the enterprise market as opposed to, you know, sort of small mom and pop uh, stuff. But we have a self-service tool that uh, small businesses can use, and thousands of them do. We have about <coughs> two million small businesses that have claimed their location on Foursquare and can update content, and so that works for self-service. Um, but, but really, we're building this great, with the $45 million investment we just got, we are building an elite sort of data-driven um, marketing and enterprise solutions sales force. So tell us a little bit about raising the Series E round. Was putting Jeff in as CEO one of the conditions? Not a condition of the round, but I mean, I could see over the last 18 months, like around the time that we hired Jeff, that the company is going to need to do different types of things uh, in order to be successful, uh, and the company is going to need different types of leadership to do that. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if we ever had this explicit conversation, but like, you know, when we were having breakfast talking about, hey, you should be the COO, I was thinking this guy would be a good CEO someday, uh, because I could see that I would need to make those types of changes in the organization. Um, and so, you know, really what happened is like, you know, we knew that when we were going to raise the financing, uh, we were going to start to change some things internally in terms of, okay, some resources have to move from here to here. Uh, and so the best thing to do is group all of these things together. 
So I had a long conversation with the board um, a while ago about you know, overall leadership changes. And we had come up with a plan, and then we had looped Jeff in, and we started looping a couple other people in. It's like a real like, um, art to try to do this at a large company when you've got a lot of different things going on. Uh, and then we decided to announce all three at once, and I thought it worked out really well. Absolutely. What were the kinds of concerns that the new and newer investors raised? I mean, 45 million uh, is a great invest, you know, it was a great round. It is, however, just a little bit less than maybe some people would have hoped for. Uh, well, I mean, it's like, I think a lot of the old valuation baggage that we were carrying was tied to this idea that we have to become Facebook someday. And we were valued over <coughs> how many people in the US are using the app every single day, and therefore seeing ads inside of Foursquare and Swarm. But this, it's just not the business that we are today. Like, we've, we've done a lot of work to mature and change the business and build all these awesome products. And so this round of financing was about telling that story. Uh, to investors and about getting a valuation that's in line with the things that we're building and the businesses that we've built, it, rather than you know, expectations for where we should have been three years ago. You were involved in that process too, Jeff? Uh, absolutely. The fundraising mm -hmm. over the last six months? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Every day. Uh, <laughs> Lots uh, of fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the, the private markets, as it's been widely commented on, mm -hmm. Private tech company multiples were very different than public company multiples, um, and that's what you've seen over the last few months. And so, what the neat thing about Foursquare is we're a real business now with tens of millions in revenue, and we've you know set this hundred million dollar revenue goal uh, not too far out. And and so, we're valued the way a public company would be valued now, which wasn't true maybe a year ago in terms of private tech valuations. And so we feel really great about this round. And and on top of it, um, we had to work secretly, as you do inside of a company, to, to get to, through the negotiations. Um, and people would hear things, and they would say, are you thinking about employees in this process? And I remember saying to an employee who asked that, that's almost all we think about <laughs> as long as we get the right money to, to succeed and win. And so we really did it in an employee-friendly way, which is key to us. So, and and, and we, we had a three-hour meeting with every single employee where we took them through the financing when we could announce it. And people were just stunned at how much we had done to make it employee friendly. And, and that's really key because the team in a tech company, and I speak to a lot of the, the Cornell grad students here as well, like the team is everything, right? You, I mean, a great developer is worth 100 mediocre developers, so talent is everything. Um, and so that was, that was key. And the investors, to their credit, I and mean, we have great investors, Andreessen Horowitz, Union Square Ventures, Morgan Stanley was a big investor in the new round. And they were very sophisticated about thinking about the team and the inspiration of the whole process. So in terms of talent, it is still all about the stock options and the equity uh, oh, It's about making sure that people can see upside. Well, that's part of it, right? That everyone wants to see upside. I mean, that's one of the reasons that you join one of the tech companies. Um, but then also, like, more so, like, you want to be a part of something great. You want to believe in what you're building. And uh, you know, we've got a lot of people that are very excited about there's mountains and mountains of data here at Foursquare. What are we going to do with it on the consumer side? What are we going to do with it on the advertising side? What are we going to do with it on the enterprise side? And it's about getting the right people that are excited about the right thing and slotting them into the right positions. So just as you mentioned the consumer side, let's go back to that for one more minute, because I can't help feeling that you, you know, there is still 
maybe not among this group of people, but you know, the, the general impression that Foursquare is a sort of an, an, you know, an older company and that maybe it's not as popular as people. I actually asked one of my producers today if, if he used it and he said, uh, no, I like missed that, which I thought was a little bit sad. Like missed out on it or he yeah, misses it? That he missed that era, he's yeah, too yeah. young or whatever. But obviously that's not the case and, and you're going to be trying to reinvigorate Foursquare itself again. And you would like monthly active users to go up, right? It's not that you wouldn't. Sure, yeah. And you're going to have to map more places in the world, I'm sure. So or, how will you yeah. do that? Well, I mean, you just make great products. Yeah. And, you know, it's been my... But I'm not going to download Foursquare until... You're not going to download it until someone that you go to dinner with is like, hey, have you been using this app called Foursquare? And the reason that they would tell you that is because someone else would tell them. And so somewhere in this chain, we have to make sure that someone has an amazing experience. Um, now, most of the, like we made a big bet a while ago that the way that you have this amazing experience is you do something that no other app does. And my belief for the longest time has been the thing that no other app does is like, you know, tap you on the shoulder when you turn the corner on some random alley in Barcelona and says, hey, this is the, bless you, this is the restaurant you need to go to. And this is what we do. We send millions of these pings every single day as people are, you know, crossing over Broadway or walking into a new neighborhood or going to a restaurant for the first time. And that's the moment where people are like, holy cow, this thing is awesome. Check out this message that I just got. Now, it doesn't, I mean, it hasn't happened in like a Snapchat-esque fashion where it's like it takes over the, you know, the world in, in 18 months, but it's like slow and steady. We're building this service out that rewards people that go out and explore and goes and find, find great places. And that's, um, I don't know, I think it's been a lot of fun to watch and see. And then, like every, uh, I feel like every couple months we're turning more and more people back onto the product. This might be a good point to bring in the privacy issue because <clears throat> I feel like checking in now is maybe something that people think twice about where before they didn't. Because not just the most recent Apple news, but just in general people have got a little bit more self-aware and they know you know, that their data is out there and maybe they're not as willing to just give it all up unless they're getting something. I mean, they're not going to lie in your pockets unless there's something in it for them. But even if you're getting a discount, still not sure you want to check into a place. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, we have a bargain with our consumers, right, which is that the Foursquare City Guide is about inspiring you. I mean, where a Yelp might give you a yellow page listing of the nearest coffee shop or pizza place, Foursquare is constantly pushing you to try something different. It's like, you have to try this like amazing cupcake place where the ice cream is inside the cupcake. And it's like, sounds not, great. not your, you know, it's not your usual place, right? Or it's like thing. this like short rib, crazy, you know, gluten-free tacos that you gotta try. And it's not your usual place and it pushes you, it gets to know you and it pushes you to, to sort of break out of the ordinary and live a little better. And so people discover that, particularly when they're traveling and then they tell friends. But if you think about mapping the world, you know, uh, Nielsen is a company I think about a bit, right? They have 40,000 families and it's a $15 billion company. Um, and we have 50 million users and 10 million in this always on mode, more than 10 million. And so, you know, our ability to understand the cultural trends in the world and, and where people are voting with their feet to tell you the most interesting place in any neighborhood is incredible and it's data driven rather than, you know, a long rant from someone who had a beef with the waiter or is the nephew of the owner of the, you know, and, and it's very data driven and we believe in that. And so I, it's growing. We're at all time high check-ins and all time high usage on all the products. But the point is we don't need everyone. We need maybe like a few percent of every society to help us map the great places and all the businesses. 
and, and we'll have the most robust understanding of the physical economy in the world, which we, we already do. And just to be clear, I, I clarified it outside, and maybe some of you already know, but this uh, opting in is something that you have to actively do. You know what you're doing when you sign up for this. You, you know, anyone who uses an iPhone, you're even reminded multiple times, you know, this app is using your background location, and you have to double opt in, but you get value for it. You know, it understands when you've gotten to your desk for the 400th time, it doesn't ping you, but when you're, you know, in Barcelona or in somewhere special, or you sit down at Baltazar for the first time, you're going to get that ping saying, here's what to order, or three of your friends have left tips. So this sort of understanding, it's a bargain. I think users are, our users are particularly millennials, although they're of all ages, and, and there's a bargain. Like people at first thought, I don't know if I want to use Gmail because the computer is reading my email and targeting my advertising, or I don't know if I want to use Facebook because, you know, they're, they're creating a profile of me. But I think users are pretty smart, and they love those services, and, and that's the bargain. And there's, um, if any company is doing something truly nefarious with the data, they're going to get slammed. I mean, we're very public about our opt-in and our privacy policies. Yeah, Jeff, what do you think of Apple's conundrum at the moment? It's a particularly difficult one, but you being, you know, founder of a tech company would need to have a say, you I'm mean, sure. You being Dennis. Oh, me? <laughs> um, you know, we were, we were talking about this a little bit uh, earlier today, you know, like, I, th I think it's great that Apple's taking a stand for this in, in this particular case, where it's like they they you know they comply with the law in lots of different ways. They've made it clear that they do, and there's this one particular thing where it's like changing the phones fundamentally and the, and the software fundamentally, and it's over the line for them. They don't want to comply with it, and I understand why. What about you guys? If that case were to ever, so I think there's enter. an important distinction here, and it's a great mm -hmm. question. Um, you know, Apple, like us, gets <coughs> warrants from court mm -hmm. orders occasionally for information on our data servers. And if it's a legitimate warrant from a court, we will comply. We don't do that very often, but we, when we do get those requests, we comply. What the Apple complaint is about something very different. It's about creating sort of backdoors mm -hmm. to a private server that's the user's computer. It's not information. Apple gives information on its own iCloud servers when there's a warrant. They're saying, I don't want to create new software to break encryption on a private device. And I, we support them, as most of the tech community does. I think this will go to the Supreme Court, and obviously we'll have to abide by what they decide. But I think Apple's raising a really important distinction between data that resides on a server and breaking encryption or starting to build in backdoors into devices, which I think a lot of people in the tech community are rightly very concerned about. And whatever you give the US government, if once you build that software, you know, are you going to give it to the Chinese? Um, and so I think that's a very, uh, you know, it's a very serious issue that Tim well, Cook's raised. Speaking of the Chinese, are there co competitors <laughs> moving swiftly on since we've addressed that topic now? Are there competitors in different parts of the world that, that concern you, or is it mainly your competitors here in the United States with this location type of? Yeah, I think um, we went through this phase 2009, 10, 11, where you were starting to see clones of interesting you know, US social mobile software appear in other parts of the world. But I think now in 2016, like there's a couple players that are just gigantic uh, and they're pretty much everywhere in the world. Um, the opportunity for us now is to try to partner with some of those companies where it's like, listen, we're really good at location technology. We go very deep in the stack. We can help, you know, companies really anywhere in the world um, power these experiences in ways that they might not be able to do themselves. And you know, we, we spend a lot of time doing you know, outgoing business development and, and talking to a lot of these companies about like, how can we power some of your software really all over the world. What a, so let's talk uh, numbers now. And uh, <laughs> so at what point will you become profitable? How are you profitable? Want me to take that Yeah, one? take it. Go for it. Um, <laughs> so that's that's why you put them in six weeks ago, isn't it? That's kind of 
my... Well, you, I mean, there's the Jeff questions and the Dennis yeah, questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is kind of how it works on our exec team, too, yeah. every day. Um, so, I mean, we are uh, operating in investment mode, but our goal is to be profitable. And I, and I think that we're very focused on that over the next few years. And that was part of the investment thesis when, when we raised $45 million, is to, this will carry us to profitability. Um, you know, I think we're in a different era. There were a lot of companies that just thought, you know, just grow eyeballs and, and, and big valuations will, will follow and, and revenue and burn don't matter. I think we're in a new era now and um, the team that we have is very focused on getting to profitability and so we have a plan. We have these products. Last year we grew our media business 170%. We grew our um, enterprise solutions, including 100,000 developers, uh, 100, developers using the platform. Um, by 160%. Those business lines are the vast majority of the company's revenue now. And so we, we know what's going to carry us to profitability, and, and we're really focused on... So what kind of operating revenues are you working with? Oh, we're, we get to be a <laughs> private company. We don't have to answer those questions. All right. Doesn't mean I can't ask. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, but uh, so the, the developers, you know, how important are they to the business, and, and, and incrementally, do they... Do they uh, except for their, the products that they, I guess, develop, do they, um, you know, do they each contribute? Well, we have the, you know, this is a classic freemium model. So we have 100,000 developers. If you are building a location-based app and you want to use our map of the world, it's and you're and you're for students in a dorm room in NYU or Cornell Tech or in Amsterdam, you can have it for free mm -hmm. up to a certain uh, number of calls. Um, then and then the sort of the top. You know, 0.1% of developers are companies like, you know, Apple and Twitter and Pinterest and folks like that and Yahoo. And when I joined, this was kind of an open source project and no one ever paid. And, and you know, what was one of the first conversations we had is like, hey, there are people hitting our servers a billion times a year and they're Fortune 500 companies. Maybe we ought to ask them for some money. Um, and, uh, and, and things like that. So that was, it, it really took off. And, and so now we're building a new thing. You know, um, one of the big visions, and we, we talked about what keeps people excited to work for a tech company, and it's sort of reinventing the world. And so where you might have thought of Foursquare as this check-in game or as a city guide, now we really think we're, we're a location intelligence company that's trying to connect the digital world and the physical world. And that is a really big ambition, and it's really exciting. And it, you know, for when, when Dennis convinced me to join, he's like, I have this vision of hundreds of millions of people with phones that understand where they are and, and enabling that. And so now we're doing it. And, and that's really exciting. It doesn't always have to be our own products that are smart. You know, helping I mean, are other you concerned at all that, that, there's, that other, there are other people doing this? And I, you know, I hate to bring up Facebook and Google again, but it's true. I mean, you check in on Facebook, too, and I'm sure Facebook has a, a map. Maybe it's not similar. I'm sure it doesn't have the same kinds of information, but it has certain yeah, kinds of information. I mean, information. we can do our own little side-by-side -side comparisons, and we know from people that, that work at these companies that uh, sometimes they are frustrated that the big, much bigger than Foursquare company cannot do the stuff that we do as well as we can with our team of 200 people. Uh, and the reason for that is, you know, we have people all over the world every single day hitting that check-in button, and they just won't stop hitting that check-in button. Okay. And every time they do that, it helps make our map of the world a little bit stronger. Okay. All right. Well, let's go back to the revenue stream. So that's one stream of revenue, and then the other side is the the, the, the enterprise solutions of, of you know. So w obviously, one is bigger than the other. Uh, what kind of growth rate do you see for each side? Well, the media, the media solutions pinpoint is, a, is our biggest product. And, and this is, 
um, a map uh, that we have built through an ecosystem of other apps that also have locations. So maybe you, you play a, a game or weather or news and that, that app makes a call back to, you know, as a partner and we understand, hey, we don't know um, that it's Karen, but we, uh, but we do know that there was a phone that's not a Foursquare user and they were at an auto dealer or they were at the movie theater or they were at J. Crew at that moment or they were at the Starbucks on 27th Street and we see these phones repeatedly and we can create um, an audience. And so when Nike wants to talk to people who really are fitness fanatics, or when Burger King wants to talk to that small sliver of the population that drives 80% of fast food chain profits, you know, we understand people who love those things and we can connect those brands and those people based on the real world. And so that pinpoint product is our biggest product. And the beauty of it is also we can measure whether the ads work. And that's something very novel. And so today with attribution, we layered on that you don't even have to advertise with us. You can advertise on Yahoo or AOL or you know, some other programmatic publisher, and we'll still measure for them whether the ads drove people into physical businesses. Yeah, sure, Dennis. There's, a, there's an important thing here that I think we're kind of glossing over a little bit, is that a lot of the products that we've built over the last two years, they apply even to people that don't use the Foursquare products. So, ad, you know, ad platforms and other develop, like, uh, you know, ad platforms can then run a, a call back through our servers, and the user may never know that the game that they're playing is talking to Foursquare in the back end, but, you know, that's just one of the things that we power so we can reach people that are outside of the Foursquare network. Uh, and then one of the things that we're really excited about is, you know, Jeff was alluding, we have 100,000 developers that have built on top of the API, and, you know, they're primarily using this place database that we have. Um, and just a couple minutes ago, we were talking about this, like, magic, you know, magic power that Foursquare has to understand when you walk in and out of places. And we think a lot about, like, what if we actually gave that superpower to 100,000 other apps? Like, would the apps change? What would it look like? Like, that's something that we think a lot about. Like, how can we change the whole app ecosystem and give new superpowers to app developers? Um, and, you know, we're not there yet, but that's the stuff that, like, we do think we can really I mean, do you envision forward. solving the measurement problem for more than just, you know, retailers? Uh, could this be something that might end up solving the, 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 the you know, the, the Nielsen problem, basically, which is that it's very difficult to measure eyeballs in, in traditional media? Well, we had a lot of fun uh, because in the announcement today, we actually, uh, for digital ads, we can actually create control and expose, but for TV, we're working on that. It's not there yet. It's something in the future. But we actually had fun and we measured all the Super Bowl ads. And instead of just do critics like them, we actually put them through a test. If they were for an offline business, like a car company or a fast food chain or the like, or Red Lobster, um, we, uh, we, we said, well, what was the lift from the two weeks before the Super Bowl and after? And the interesting results uh, came out, you know, which Super Bowl ads really worked. And so we were able to say Kia, which ran four spots, actually saw, saw walk-in go up 5% to all their dealerships in the next 14 days. Now, is that enough for Kia? I mean, is there a danger here that if you actually, if, you know, if we pull back the curtain, that we'll realize maybe advertising doesn't work as well as we would have wanted? <laughs> Well, you know, it, it, it's so many factors, but, but the beauty of it is you can get overnight results, which, which you could, you might have to wait months for credit card data to know if ads had worked as an offline business in the past. Now, Beyonce mentions Red Lobster, and they're up 12% over the next two weeks. Taco Bell is up 10%, but McDonald's only got 0.5% lift out of their ad. So, you know, that, that goes back to the agencies and the creatives, <coughs> and it turns out some messages may actually work at getting people to go visit a business, and others may not. But now, instead of having to wait six months or wondering which ads worked, you can actually get that kind of real-time feedback the way 
if you've run a website, and I ran Travelocity's uh, user experience for many years, like you are constantly A-B testing and optimizing to know what works. But if you run a pizza chain, you know, it's much harder to measure these things. So now we're, we're trying to bring that big data analytics to the physical bricks and mortar world that's been behind, and that's kind of the big idea. Have you had offers, many offers, to buy the company? Uh, well, we've been around for seven years, and we've yep. done a bunch of rounds of financing, and like every time you're doing something really interesting, and every time you go through a financing, there's people that come sniffing. And would you ever be interested? What, what is your end dream goal for this company? Um, I mean, I, I'm really proud of the stuff that we're building now, and uh, you know, like the the point in starting it has been let's build software that no other company is building, and let's make consumer experiences that no one else is building, and then you know what we've discovered over the last couple of years, like we can actually make advertising products and enterprise solutions that no one else is building, and I mean, you, a lot of people here are builders. Like you like to go work at companies doing stuff that no other company is doing. Like that's the fun stuff to do. Like, that's why we started the company to begin with. I mean, if there was an opportunity to take Foursquare and put it in a, in a, um, a combine or work with someone else, and like we had a really great home, we were doing great stuff. I mean, some, we look at those things, but like I'm really proud of where we are right now. And plus, we just raised a huge chunk of financing, gives us tons of runway. We can kind of go and see, like, okay, well, where's the where's the finish line in terms of um, you know getting to the point where, the, where all of this stuff is working, and we you know we can kind of control our own destiny. So brief, uh, we only have just a few more minutes left, but I want to ask a couple of more broad questions, and one would be to do with Twitter, for example. It's been all over the news, obviously, in the last. I mean, it's just one example of a company where they're stalling out a bit, and they're you know trying to change strategy, new CEO, and so forth, new old CEO. Any advice for Jack Dorsey? Oh, I mean, that's um, given that he's uh, well, he was a Series A investor, right? Uh, in Foursquare, yeah. 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 Um, I, I mean, like, it, they're, that's, they're in a really, really tough spot, right? Like, you've built something that hundreds of millions of people love, but it's not enough for Wall Street, right? They just want more and more and more. And they risk kind of changing the product and making it into something that you're not proud of and other people don't like. So I, I don't know how to fix that. Does he need and a I, new product like you guys came well, up with? Well, I think, that, I mean, like, this is what they're doing with, like, a lot of the, like, with Vine and with Periscope. Let's, let's build other things in the hope of building a larger audience. Um, I mean, I, I, I know they're going to keep fiddling with Twitter, and my experience on Twitter keeps getting better and better. I'm, like, number one super fan. Um, but I hope it doesn't get to the point where, like, it actually, it, it isn't better anymore, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's a, it's a really, really tough job. It's difficult to monetize unless you have some, a, a completely new business like It's difficult like what you to have. take a really good product and change it because you have to not because you want to. Well, the, I mean, they grew revenue, I don't know, with 45% or something yeah. last quarter, but the, everyone's looking at the 300 million users, and if that doesn't move, it doesn't matter if you're a multi-billion dollar company growing yeah. revenue 45%. I think the hard thing that we tried to learn from Twitter was what we talked about earlier, which is, you know, the, the unit of measurement of expectations matters, and so Twitter's problem is they set themselves up accepting that Facebook was the right comparison, <coughs> and in some ways yes. maybe Facebook is not the right comparison. I mean, people who love Twitter are often, you know, using it as part of their, their work or their interest, right? It's almost like a micro-publishing for interest groups. I'm at Bonnie Quinn, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> and so they, they may not be Facebook, and, and that may not be the right thing. Now, they have very interesting data businesses, and they have a fast-growing advertising business, um, but they, you know, Jack has recommitted them to growing the users, mm -hmm. but that's a very high bar. Facebook at yeah. 1.6 billion is really a tough comparison bar, and maybe they should have picked a different um, way to set themselves up in terms of expectations. Mm. So with us, we, we really talked a lot about decoupling. You know, we grew revenue 170% in these business and media solutions 
last year we grew our consumer business, but nothing like 170%. And so we were able to decouple the rate of growth from our consumer audience. And, and I think that might be something they have to look at. I think that's kind of the big takeaway from like all these conversations is like there's not a lot of companies that would sit on the stage and be like, you know, it's okay if we're just growing the consumer business a little bit because we have all these other businesses on the side that leverage that data and they're doing fantastically well. Um, you just don't hear a lot of companies talk that way. The other question I want to address before we open it to all of you guys <coughs> is, you re referenced it earlier, this idea of private valuations and, and but you, you were talking more about the difference between private and public, but just in general, I mean, Bill Gurley is just one that I can think of that, that thinks it's, it's insane, it's going to be you know, some kind of an awful crash. Are, are valuations coming into line somewhat? I think if you talk to folks that are trying to raise money, it's, uh, it's more difficult now than it was in the past. Uh, and, it's, and it's difficult when your valuation is high, and if you lower it, then it tends to be a little bit easier. And this is, you know, I've talked to entrepreneurs all the time, and I talk to other folks that are going through finances. Yeah, but forget about the raising money part of it. I mean, just, just genuine fundamentals, you know, I mean, and, and Well, I mean, as a private company, that's the only time that you actually sit and you think, like, okay, well, this is our valuation. Is it actually in check or not? Is it when, you know, when you're financing? Like, normally, when you're just sitting around doing your work, you're not, like, obsessing over it. Sure. So is, is <coughs> your company worth $250 million? Well, we never comment on those yeah. things. I mean, we, we have a, we've looked at a lots of companies, and over the last few months, I mean, obviously, Q4 was the first time that venture funding went down in America in the last you know, few years. And you know, we see all the valuations, and it's typical, both public, most public companies in tech are down 50% over the last year, if you look at most stocks, whether it's Square or Twitter or any of, any of those, um, LinkedIn now as well. And so you know, it's, it's just part of the market. Uh, but we're, we're actually really lucky because we had such a successful business, um, new business growing that we were able to raise money. I mean, the only companies that are gonna be able to raise 45 million now are those that really have a path to success. And so over the next few, next three or five years, that's actually really good for us because we, were, we, we really had this philosophy, we're gonna raise now before the, the markets shift uh, so that we're fueled up and ready for the next couple of years. And, and we're hiring like crazy. So yeah. that's, we feel really good about having done the evaluation before some of the turmoil. We, we, had a, we have very smart investors, Union Square and Andreessen Horowitz and others, and they were saying, like, get this, value, get this uh, financing done now before, don't wait. And wow, so we're, what's we're, coming next? <laughs> I think it gets worse before it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. It gets worse before it gets better. Yeah. I'm glad that we have it behind us. Now we can just, you know, heads down, back to work. Well, anybody out there looking for a job, what are your email addresses? Come on. <laughs> Dens at Foursquare. And uh, foursquare.com slash jobs. We're hiring all the time. Yep. Come look. Well, guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to follow Tech at Bloomberg on Twitter, like Cornell Tech at Bloomberg on Facebook, or email techevents at bloomberg.net to get invited to future events in this series. You can also watch any of our interviews from this series on Inside Bloomberg on YouTube.